0: Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. Apologies for the late upload this week. I was in Denver watching the Broncos and the Chiefs win streak against them. So honestly, I'm not really that sorry. That was such a fun game to be at. Uh, That aside, today we are starting a four-week sermon series on the seasons of giving. The topic of giving can be an uncomfortable topic in church settings, both for the preacher and the congregation. But I think you'll appreciate Pastor Ben's take because he'll talk more about the foundational ideas behind what it means to give as followers of Jesus and does so without mentioning money very much. And in this sermon, Ben talks about priorities and just how Jesus challenges us to shape our priorities. Also, he plays two videos in the service, so I'll link those videos in the show notes if you want to be able to see those. Just as a reminder, you can always check out our church, Cathedral of the Rockies, on our website and on our social media platforms. There you can see what is going on in the life of our church and even connect with us online. Links are in the show notes where you can check us out. And with that, enjoy today's sermon.
1: Friends, invite you to find your seats as we prepare to look at the scriptures this morning. Remind you of those questions we're thinking about today. What are our priorities? Maybe a a discipleship kind of question is, what should our priorities be as followers of Jesus? Uh, um, A question as I was studying this that became really uh, resonant for my heart, maybe it will for yours, is... Um, what kind of things are my priorities producing in my life? That was a really helpful question for me because as we la- asked last uh, Sunday, what do you want more than to be right? And I got a lot of really good responses from, you guys are listening, and I appreciate the emails I got from last week's sermon because uh, there was a lot of really genuine things. Um, one, of, one of the answers I got was, I want to be heard isn't that profound? I want to be heard. Because it doesn't matter how right you are. If you're not heard, <laughs> will it make an impact, right? Will it change things? So what do you want more than to be right? But what I'm asking in regards to priorities is what, what are my priorities producing in me? Producing in my life? Because if my number one priority is to be right, do you think I'm going to be gentle do you think it'll produce joy if when I'm wrong? <laughs> Do you think it'll produce pursuing peace? So like what kind of fruit, to use a, a Bible word, <laughs> what kind of fruit are my priorities producing in my life? Well, to start us off, I've um, brought a video for us to, to watch before we dive into the scriptures. That's a pretty bad day. And we've all had moments in our lives like that, Right? we felt like things were falling apart. That was um, in Alaska, because climate change is melting the glacier there and flooding that river so much that it tore away part of the riverbank, all the way up into the, underneath the foundation of that house, and a lot of structures are being impacted that way along that river, right near the capital, Juneau, in, in Alaska. And maybe we felt that way personally in our own lives, like maybe failing a test or the end of a relationship. And maybe it was challenging economic circumstances in our job, a career change. And maybe it's a moment where our faith, the ground of our faith fell out from under us. Where in a world like we have today, we often ask, what does it even mean to be Christian anymore? Maybe that's a moment where we felt like things were falling apart. Do you think when the homeowners who bought that house, built it there, ever thought that that kind of disaster would happen? Probably not. But bad days do happen. And they still happen for us today. So in regards to these priorities, what does it mean to live as a people of faith in a world that has such challenges? In a world full of storms like Racism, sexism, war, nationalism, American gun violence, political extremism, climate change, and so much more. It may feel like we are on the edge of a cliff like that sometimes, about ready to fall apart. Well, let's look at our passage today from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and listen to this parable from Jesus today. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The written word of the Lord. You don't have to say thanks be to God to that last part if you don't want to. (laughs) But thanks be to God. at the the beginning of our passage, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, we have to ask, what words of mine are you talking about, Jesus, right? Matthew chapter seven comes at the end of a trifold section in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, right? Begins with Matthew chapter five and ends at the end of Matthew chapter seven. He preached for that long, folks, okay? So, That's where I get it from, I think. (laughs) You know, that many chapters, and I'll only keep you for a couple of hours today, okay? But Matthew chapter five, all the way to the end of Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is building this sermon along, talking, teaching his disciples about what is the essence of life. And we all know the beginning of Matthew chapter five, it's being ingrained even in minds of those who don't, necessarily follow Jesus, they know what the Beatitudes are. Blessed are the (laughs) peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Christ's Sermon on the Mount provides examples and instruction for Jesus' followers who live on the basis of their encounter of God's reign in the world. And Jesus announced and demonstrated the presence of God's reign at the end of Matthew 4. So the sermon begins in Matthew 5 and addresses the question, what sort of life does God's reign shape in us? That's the question that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount addresses. What sort of life does God's reign produce in us? And as the chapter unfolds, Jesus preaches about a life in the community shaped by God's peace and justice. In Matthew 5, he points to the people who are favored and blessed by God in God's kingdom. God's reign produces peace, and so those who make peace are then blessed by God. God's reign produces justice, especially for the vulnerable and the poor. So those who go and help the vulnerable and the poor are blessed by God. While those around us lift up and praise the strong, God blesses the meek and the lowly. God's kingdom is upside down to the ways the kingdoms of the world operate. Father Richard Rohr put it this way, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. There is no path toward love except by practicing love. War will always produce more war and violence can never bring about true peace. Notice how in the Beatitudes and throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus never tells his disciples what to believe. He tells them how to live and how to be in the world as those under the reign of God. Um, Stanley E. Jones, a famous Methodist uh, minister and missionary, he put it this way. If the church from the beginning made the Sermon on the Mount its creed, we would be living in a different world. Because in the first three centuries of the early church, it was all about how to be like Jesus in the world. Followers of Jesus weren't going around telling you, you need to believe this way, you need to believe this, as it's just a cognitive set of beliefs. They went and lived like Jesus in the world. And then by the third century, this one guy named Constantine became emperor and did a whole bunch of stuff that's not very good for Christianity or the empire, made Christianity the the official religion of Rome. And by that time on, we had creeds that said, this is what you believe. But if the Sermon on the Mount was the creed of the church, blessed are the peacemakers, (laughs) Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is how we are in the world under God's reign. Imagine the world that that would create. Imagine that. So Jesus is trying to formulate, this is where your priorities should be. This is what your priorities should produce in your life. The fruit of peace, joy, gentleness, patience, understanding. And as we enter into Matthew 7, 1 through 6, it shows the interactions among Jesus' followers marked by self-awareness and humble compassion, correction of the other rather than condemnation. So he's nearing the end of his sermon in Matthew 7, and I broke it down here for us, just an easy breakdown. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 links prayer and faithful living together. And Matthew 7, 12 provides an axiom for human interactions. And Matthew 7, 13 through 14, then 24 through 27, contrast two different ways of life and destinations for the follower of Jesus. And they highlight accountability to God for how people should live. And then Matthew 7, 28 through 29, including our passage today, concludes the entire sermon by describing a response to it. How do we respond to this sermon on the mount given by Jesus? So I want to focus in on one verse that begins Matthew 7, 1 that I think puts our passage into greater understanding. Matthew 7, 1 is often translated this way. Do not judge. Easy, right? We're all really good at that. Especially Christians. So good at not judging other people. In fact, we are. No, that's probably what we're best known for, right? Not judging other people. How easy is that to follow? Well, I, I want to help us with that because, again, English can be such such a rascal to nail down sometimes, especially when we're translating it from really, really old languages, I don't think do not judge is the most helpful translation of that phrase. Because throughout our days, we're all making judgments and discernments about choices that we make in that day, right? Then our judgments and our discernments about other people, situations, opportunities, that shapes our priorities, right? But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't judge ever. Other people, situations, opportunities, don't judge. It can make the Bible sound like it's out of touch, right? When we translate those Greek words that way to not judge. That's a standard that is not only out of touch, but it, it seems unreasonable. I can't go through a sermon without judging or making discernments about what I'm going to do in the following paragraphs, So I don't think it's accurate or helpful to translate it that way. As everyone knows, we make judgments every single day despite this disclaimer. We may often say, it's not for me to judge or to each their own or only God can judge me, right? But we shouldn't be in deep trouble and frequent danger if we did not make discernments about people, situations, and actions We make our priorities based on discernments and judgments about life every single day. In fact, of this daily experience, the translation do not judge perpetuates this sense that we can't live up to the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus ironically goes through the sermons and says, these are the kind of judgments and discernments you should make. (laughs) Then chapter seven, verse one comes along and says, yeah, but don't judge according to the English translation. But several other factors speak against this common translation. Ironically, commanding people not to judge violates the command that Jesus is setting here. Much of the sermon trains people to make judgments or discernments about how they live in relation to God's purposes and making their priorities. In the previous chapter, Jesus has judged synagogue practices in Matthew 6, verse 2. Gentile prayer in Matthew 6, verse 7. And lives focused on material goods, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you know anything about Jesus, you know he's really cozy with rich people. <laughs> he has some pretty stark judgments. You don't say something about going through the eye of a needle That's easier than a camel, than a rich person entering the heaven kingdom of heaven. You don't say things like that unless you're making some pretty clear judgments, right? So again, on that translation, it can look like Jesus isn't living into what he's preaching, right? That's also an important thing to consider. So this translation addresses various situations involving other people. So Matthew 7, 1 actually recognizes that we make judgments daily by excluding a certain kind of judgment. The Greek there is really specific. So the Greek verb that's employed here commonly designates eschatological judgment or the kind of judgment that only Jesus alone will make at the end of all time. Oftentimes in other parts of scripture, it is translated to condemning someone to hell. This use indicates a translation of condemnation. Do not condemn. That's a different phrase altogether. With the pretense from suggesting a translation, I think this is a better translation. Do not go on condemning to hell. (laughs) Matthew 7 one. So this translation addresses various situations involving other people, conflict, fear of outsiders, intolerance of difference, prejudice, disdain, and anger, etc. In such situations, people can write off others so easily as beyond redemption. Have you ever been in such a deep disagreement with someone that you think they are beyond hope, Right? But in such situations, followers of Jesus are not to give in to that temptation to write them off as beyond mercy or hope and consign them to hell. The command forbids the arrogance of denying mercy, even dignity to another, even our enemies. Followers of Jesus have no right to declare someone as beyond God's mercy. I thought that would get an amen. Man, That's such a strong phrase. (laughs) Followers of Jesus have no right to declare that someone is beyond God's mercy. Thank you. In a world like ours today, where that is so common, we can look at a group of people and say, those people are beyond God's mercy and deserve eternal fire or worse. Jesus even goes on to warn his disciples in the very next few verses that the disciples who deny mercy to another, mercy will be denied to that disciple. Instead, it urges self-awareness and prioritizes self-correction in engaging other people. Friends, this is, that's a, that is a more accurate interpretation of of do not condemn. How easy it is to go through our priorities, go through our life, trying to follow Jesus as faithfully as we can and fall into the temptation of being arrogant in our own way to such an extent or fearing other people so deeply that we write them off rather than engage in relationship. Writing people off and just Sentencing them to hell in our own minds is so much easier than reconciliation. But that's what Jesus has called Christ's followers to do. So after that translation, we fixed that. We're good now, right? We're going to move on to the golden rule, where it culminates in this golden rule that even people outside the church know so well. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus built towards in Matthew 7. Those interactions are to be marked by mutuality, love, and justice, not domination and enforced difference typical of many interactions in a hierarchical, competitive, violent society. This verse provides a general orientation to guide specific actions in particular situations. And it is a well-known guideline for human interactions since the beginning of the Jewish scriptures. Leviticus 19:18: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> you shall love your neighbor as yourself." And then the whole sermon concludes with what we just read at the beginning of our service today. The sermon ends with the contrast of stark choices. The, the few Jesus followers are to take the narrow gate and the hard road and find life and the many who take the wide gate and the easy road find destruction my friends when i first read that i thought you know and i was a teenager when i first read those words and i thought okay so following jesus is supposed to be really really difficult so then i made i went out of my way to make it super hard myself right things I could not reach to, um, a high measurement of morality that I could never, ever attain to and just ended up perpetually shaming myself for never measuring up, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Do you know what's really, really difficult in a narrow way and few people follow it? Being peacemakers instead of responding in violence. Do you know what's really difficult in a narrow way and few who follow it? being meek rather than coercive and hostile. Jesus is talking about the way he has just set up in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being good to ourselves and good to other people. That is a narrow way. Do you know why authoritarians become popular in the 21st century? Because that's lazy, it is so easy to say, these people are terrible, you are good, support me, and we'll get rid of these people. Oh, wow, that's such an easy equation. Authoritarians and dictators have profited off that lazy way since the dawn of human existence. That is the wide way that always leads to destruction. And we're still seeing that kind of destruction in our world today, Right? So the world needs a people who are going to choose that narrow way of instead of repaying hate with hate, I'm going to respond in love. Instead of responding to violence with more violence, I'm going to respond in peace. Instead of responding to a myth of scarcity, I'm going to be generous. <laughs> that is the narrow way, and that is a difficult path, amen? Amen? <laughs> But that is the way of life that leads to life. Not just for me, but life for everyone else too. Because that narrow way prioritizes those who can't fend for themselves. Who live in perpetual perpetual fear of being trampled under. Those who choose the narrow way lift up the weak. That is the way that Jesus is asking us to build our lives around, to the foundation to build our lives on. And then our verses today employs another binary, two foundations, two builders, two responses to Jesus' teaching, and two destinies. Jesus' followers are to be wise and hear and obey Jesus' words. And it would be foolish and self-destructive to hear them and not act on them. Let me read this passage for us again from a different translation from the Message Bible that I feel like puts it in such a stark way. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your already standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit it, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies or post them on Facebook and don't work them into your life... You are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Did you catch that in that binary? Did you catch that both sets of people in Jesus' story get the storm, get the rain, get the floodwaters rising? Both of them are not exempt from the storms of life that come. The difference is if we put Jesus' words into practice, make them the foundation of our priorities, we will be able to stand through the storm. Even if it's that difficult, narrow way, we will stand the test of the storm. Uh, Duane sent me this great illustration from a philosophy professor uh, and I I thought it was great Uh, it's really light but I think it makes the point really well here I want to invite you to to watch this with me this morning Good afternoon everyone
2: We all have this one life to live a fleeting shadow amongst all that exists in this vast universe. We have the ability to accomplish anything, truly anything, if we use our time wisely. Is this jar full? Is it full now? Yeah. And how about now? Is the jar full now? I want you to recognize that this jar represents your life. Golf balls are the important things, your family, your friends, your health, and your passions. The pebbles are the other important things, your car, your, your job, your home. The sand is everything else. It's just the small stuff. Now, if you put the sand into the jar first, you won't have room for the pebbles or the golf balls. The same is true in life. If you spend all your energy and your time on the small stuff, you won't have time for all the really important things that matter to you. Pay attention to the things that are critical to your happiness. Take care of the golf balls first, the really important things. Set your priorities, because everything else is
1: it's just sand. Yes. Uh, Professor, what does, what does the beer represent? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm glad you asked it goes to show that no matter how full your life may seem to be, there's always room for a couple of beers with
1: a friend. <laughs> I would have poured a cup of coffee in the top, but that's just me. If your philosophy professor isn't coming to class with sand and golf balls in his bag, he may not be a philosophy professor, okay? But I just thought that was a wonderful illustration to express how prioritizing the really important things in life. And friends, for too, too many circles of Christianity, we've separated the gospel, our relationship with God, from everything else. As if our mental health doesn't matter, as if our physical health doesn't matter, our relationships, our pursuits, our goals, our happiness, everything becomes secondary and almost subordinate to our relationship with Jesus. But Jesus came in and wanted to have a whole life, (laughs) Jesus wanted to impact all of life to bring joy and comfort and peace and happiness. Even in the midst of the storm, he wanted to bring wholeness and healing to the world. And so, if we're perpetually shaming ourselves, then maybe we've put some other things above what matters. So I want you to to think on these reflection steps throughout this week. I brought a few of them for us today. And if you want to maybe take a picture or write them down, I found these questions really helpful for me as I was thinking about this passage today. And I think you will too. And it goes from easy to meddling, okay? Meddling into your life. So just be prepared. This is an easy one. What do I say my priorities are? Pretty easy to answer. The next question is, what do my habits say my priorities are, right? That may be a different answer. And it gets worse from there. What do my finances and my use of time say that my priorities are? Uh, Alex and I were talking this morning. Anyone's smartphone updates you on how much screen time you spent this week? You, your screen time was up 15% from last week, Right? And then we started joking, I'm like, I, I wish there was a graph that would tell me how much time I spent wallowing in despair. <laughs> how much time, yeah, okay, I spent 5% less on screen time, but how much time did I spend wasting on other things, right? Um, so if we had a graph, what would our, what would our finances, what, what are the things we spend on or our use of time, what does that tell us our priorities are? And are they the same of what we want our priorities to be, right? And it gets worse from there. What would my friends and my family and my loved ones say that my priorities are? <laughs> and it, it, if you want to be really diligent about this, like I asked Rebecca what she thinks my priorities are and I just prepare you to go into that willing to listen because <laughs> it may or may not align with what you hope they might say your priorities are, right? So pondering and asking these questions can really help us to understand what foundations we are building our lives on. And lastly, um What do my priorities, do they produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? These are what's often known as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Are the priorities in my life producing these things in my life? Because the longer I live, the longer I follow Jesus, the more important it is to me that my priorities produce these things. And if my priorities don't produce these things in my life then maybe I need to question my priorities, right? So ponder, reflect these things. If you didn't have a way to write them down and you want them, let me know. I'd be glad to email them to you uh, so you can get an A on the exam next week. No, I'm not gonna test everybody. But if you do want those, let me know. uh, Get in contact with me. My friends, Jesus has called us to a whole, healed, compassion, justice-seeking life. And I want to invite us to make that the priority, the foundation upon which we build our lives so that we can be a firm structure for others who are seeking safety and sanctuary in the midst of the storm of life.
0: Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is, all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. Here at the Amity Campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online and Serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.